0: Hello listeners and welcome to the Unions 21 podcast, your digital download of all that's good in the trade union movement in this particular point in time. With me, Simon Saffa.
1: And me, Becky Wright. Also, listen, listeners, we must say this is a, a an Avengers Endgame spoiler-free zone. Feel free to listen to this podcast without any mention of Avengers Endgame. No, neither one of us has watched it, although I would quite like to.
0: So, to the business at hand, which is... <laughs>
1: Simon's like, get on with it, Becky. <laughs>
0: which, is, which is ACAS, uh, the Advisory Conciliation Arbitration Service.
1: Not Marvel. What? Not Marvel. <laughs> Not Marvel. <laughs> Sorry, everyone.
0: <laughs> In this episode, seriously, we're looking at ACAS. Uh, we have an in-depth discussion with ACAS Chair, Brendan Barber. Of course, no stranger to the trade union movement, as he used to be General Secretary of the TUC so without further ado let's bring him on well listeners becky and i can barely tear ourselves away from the view over a quite sunny london for this uh, this late spring day but we have to because we're in the company of brendan barber chair of acas latterly general secretary of the tuc thank okay. you very much for joining us on the podcast brendan no i'm pleased to and one of the things that we're um concerned with or always preoccupied by it is collective voice and how it survives and changes to be relevant maintain its relevance in in the changing world of work and i know acas has seen an upswing in complaints over the over the recent period and i wondered if if actually the complaints were part of the the problem for us because mm. actually they are swinging towards being individual complaints rather than collective complaints
2: Yeah, I mean, obviously there's been a lot of attention on the number of individual complaints and there was the controversy over fees and employment tribunals Mm. and access uh, to justice and so on. I have to say, in in terms of individual complaints, I never thought that in an economy of our size, uh, with a working population of, what, 27, 28 million, something like that now, you know, 100,000 complaints represented uh, you know, a tiny, tiny proportion of the number of problems and grievances, I suspect, uh, are out there. But that that is one important role that ACAS has to, to provide the first port of call for someone who's got a, an issue that they're considering taking to a tribunal and exploring whether it's possible to reach a a kind of agreed settlement with the employer concerned without the need for the legal processes as and that's I, a big part of our work.
1: I mean my experience of ACAS was as a young uh, I, I use that in the terms of like a long time ago organizer trying to get union recognition and the the CAC process was Go through you know negotiations with ACAS and I I really enjoyed that process actually I think partly Good. because Good. I think partly because <laughs> the ACAS mediator when you're having a laugh you should just recognise them and I was like I like that yeah. person an awful lot yeah. but and so I think a lot of our mem a lot of our listeners would know about ACAS's role maybe through their attempts to do recognition, yeah. or even maybe the kind of the big picture disputes mm-hmm. that have been in the, in the press over the last got a few years. Because, so you sort of mentioned those kind of um, people, individual issues, calling it ACAS. In 2019, what is the role of ACAS, Brendan?
2: Well, it's a mix of things. It's uh, certainly to play a big part in handling those complaints from individuals and the system now is that an individual has to bring it to ACAS before it can proceed into the tribunal processes and we have a pretty good success rate at being able to help individuals and employers reach kind of solutions without having to go into the tribunal. And that can be of real benefit to all concerned, you know, a a tribunal is not a nice experience for an individual, it's stressful, it's painful, and when the fee system was in place it was pretty expensive as well, but it's not good for an employer either, it it can take up a lot of time, it can cost a lot of expense in legal representation, so if a conciliation process can resolve it uh, to the satisfaction of both parties there's a lot of, of merit for that. But obviously the, the part of ACAS work that gets most public attention is the conciliation that we provide in collective disputes. And in recent times, quite a lot of the disputes in the rail industry have come to ACAS. The, the major junior doctors uh, dispute uh, a little while mm-hmm. ago, ACAS was very much involved in trying to find a solution mm-hmm. to that. And at the moment, we handle about 800 collective disputes a year. Gosh. Not all of which have been involving strike action, because sometimes, of course, Mm. we get called in to see if if we can help before a dispute has got to that stage. But our effectiveness in that relies on us being regarded as impartial, independent, able to win the kind of trust of both the employer and the union concerned because these are voluntary processes you know people don't have to bring collective disputes to ACAS and either party at any time can say no. You know, we're we're not letting you be involved, and we don't think you can add any value. So, uh, stay clear. So we we have to have that trust and confidence to be able to uh, make that contribution. Well, I'm just I mean, I'm just struck by. I mean, that's a higher number than I, I thought. I have to say, but mm. 800. But I'm just thinking
0: about the the, the savings that, that represents. Well, they're enormous. <laughs> Resolving those disputes, how much. Time, money, output is saved as a result of the intervention of ACAS.
2: Yeah. Well, we, we've we had research done on that, the economic impact of ACAS services, and that shows that it's about, for every pound spent on on running ACAS, it's about £13 benefit to the economy. And all our different services are evaluated to, uh, to contribute to that, but the, the biggest element contributing to that calculation is collective disputes
1: yeah
2: where you know if a dispute runs on you know if a major transport dispute runs on for another two days longer than it might otherwise have done because we've been able to conciliate a, a settlement you know the impact of that can be hundreds of millions of pounds yeah, uh, yeah. across the across yeah. the economy
0: and, and actually there's almost like a qualitative Dimension to it as well because I, I understand ACAS is involved in the Highlands and Islands Air Traffic Controllers yeah. I- issue. I mean, you know, in, in a community like that, if your transport infrastructure goes down, you are. Oh, well, of course. Know, it has a profound economic impact, even if the cost is not the same as. I know, something yeah. in a more populated it's
1: a co- area. It's a completely different dimension when those are some people's only way of getting their of milk. Of course.
2: No, that's <laughs> abso- absolutely right. No, my
1: best friend lives on in the Orkney Isles, and it's like you know she'll text me and she'll go i forgot to get the heating so now i've got three days of wearing all my jumpers so that kind of impact (laughs) i can completely appreciate so has that figure changed brendan you know 800 collective disputes is that a a figure that's been going up or has it been going down
2: it's edged down a little bit it's edged down a little bit just in the last uh, in the last couple of years Uh, whether that's going to continue uh, obviously you know we can't predict the future but it's it's a little lower and obviously certainly if you look at strike action mm. i mean the official statistics that are published every, every year would show that the number of days lost due to industrial disputes has yeah. declined you know very significantly from earlier earlier periods in our history And that's partly, I guess, because there are fewer disputes that give rise to industrial action. And where industrial action does take place, it tends not to be on a kind of continuous basis. Mm. It tends more often to be a day at a time and so on. And so the overall numbers uh, have declined accordingly.
1: And has that 100,000 that you mentioned at the beginning, is that rising or is that kind of...
2: It has, it has increased again. It went down very significantly when the fees system was introduced. Right. Uh, clearly, uh, uh, you know, a lot of people who might otherwise have brought a case decided not to uh, because mm-hmm. of the, the impact of the costs, but it's risen again. So it, it's about at the sort of level uh, that it was out before the fees was introduced. You know, now yeah. they've been yeah. removed right yeah. yeah interesting interesting and, and this ha- has the originating point
0: of, of many of these indi- disputes changed in the sense that the economy is now dominated by small and medium-sized enterprises do you want me to enterprise? get my
1: stats out simon
0: yeah if you if you would but can i think can i, think I stat I you up 60
1: by... of the workforce are in small medium-sized businesses specifically in micro business which is nine right. employees oh, 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 yeah. or fewer and that is uh, the 17 something million people in the private sector so that is a considerable number of people who are not who who what aren't easily covered by large sort of scale industrial relations mechanisms
2: yeah and that's certainly reflected in the kind of other service which ACAS provides which is advice and guidance on Mm. good practice in employment and employment relations um, where a lot of the demand not all but a lot of the demand for those services comes from small and medium-sized businesses where they may not have in-house expertise they won't necessarily have a dedicated HR manager um, but they have to handle you know their legal obligations on employment contracts on handling grievance and dismissal issues, discipline issues properly. They have to ensure that they're not guilty of discriminating in an unlawful way. All the legal obligations that our framework of legislation provides, uh, they've got to abide by that. So we have a telephone helpline we get almost a million calls a year wow. not all Good. from small businesses but a it's lot, a, million a, million lot a lot from mm-hmm. a lot from small businesses and obviously a lot from individuals yeah. as well looking for advice you know i'm in this situation do i have a legal protection or don't i and what are my options if i do and we're able to provide that kind of advice we've been kind of trying to really increase our digital offer so that all that information and guidance on the legal rights and protections and so on is readily available through our website. We had about 12 million visits to our website cool. in, in the last uh, last 12 months or mm-hmm. so. And more and more people used to increasingly searching for information, whether it's about yeah. planning their you know, leisure time or planning their shopping or, or whatever, increasingly expect to be able to access uh, the information they need through uh, through digital channels.
1: Have you got an app yet? Or have you got... We we haven't got
2: an app, but uh, we'll perhaps we ought to think about one, don't mm, we? You, know, that it's not you never billet. know. It's not a <laughs> It is not a <laughs> no, not Is, is Simon thinking. a particular advocate of apps? <laughs> 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 it's it's a
1: debate actually amongst us all at Unions 21 about the use of apps. But the reason I was thinking about it was, you remember when you did reps courses? whether whether you were on reps courses or whether you trained reps courses and you always referred to the acas guides you know you yeah, always yeah, gave copies true. out yeah and i was just thinking instead of giving out copy all these paper copies of you know acas guide to this or acas guide to that like i could i can envision envisage a world where a union would be saying here's our login for the acas app
0: well, I think I think you're being what? too conservative in your judgement here. Oh, right. Because, <laughs> because they, surely, surely that's not often. Surely, the, 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 view, the view of the future is actually reps go on courses and they're given a union tablet preloaded with the. Ah.
2: Uh-huh.
1: <laughs> right. Uh, Simon suggested I- that. to into all this. Of I'm the... warming to this. <laughs> <laughs> all of those union finance officers suddenly listening, kind of like going, "We haven't got the budget for, but that's like the in- point."
0: In- increasingly, unions do do that for their reps.
1: Do they? Yeah. Well, there yeah, you go. That so. will be a podcast for another day, li- <laughs> listeners.
0: Sorry, Bray.
2: But what, I mean. no, I'm just going to say, it's not just enough these days just to have a website. That's yeah. certainly true. Yeah. You've got to really think carefully about how people are able to search it, how the information is presented in the most user-friendly kind of, mm. you know. At the moment, we have a lot of, for example, rather long PDFs. So yeah. talking about the code yeah. of practice, you can yeah. download yeah. the p- the PDF mm of a you know a 30 or 40 page document but actually most people want to be able to just zip to the particular question
1: yeah, yeah. they
2: want the answer to so not have to search it. through a yeah. 40 page document so we're very much looking at the way we present advice uh, make it accessible make it easily findable
0: so maintaining accessibility in a changing a changing world of yep. work
2: or changing world
0: yeah full stop is obviously one challenge but what are the roles do you see for ACAS in in the world of work that we're about to enter with a, oh, or well,
1: oh, we're entering we're entering
0: ONS saying all these jobs are going to disappear we know yep. there are new jobs coming but they're not going to be the same as old jobs so how does ACAS keep up up to speed as it were
2: well uh, I think another big kind of challenge uh, for us and uh, one of our ambitions is to be a player in taking that debate forward about public policy on the workplace and workplace issues and the future challenges coming down the track now because of the requirement for us to be impartial and not to overtly kind of step into what might be a very divisive political debate on issues Uh, we have to be measured and sensible about how we we play our part. Uh, on some issues, certainly we we might take a a line, so to speak, and try and argue that position with government and others. But in other areas that well, there might be very sharply different views, we can play a convening role, at least bringing parties together that might have different kind of mm. starting points. To explore you know what are the areas where there maybe is common ground and so on so uh, for ACAS to be seen as a trusted convener yep. about mm. some of yeah. this uh, debate is an important role that I think we can play and so we had a good conference a few months ago around the theme of the future of work we had Andy Holdane wow, from I'm the Chief Economist from the well, Bank I mean... of England, we wow. had Francis
1: yeah. it was very good. Uh,
2: uh, from the TUC, Carolyn Furman from the CBI yeah. doing a discussion together, Matthew Taylor talking about some of the issues in his report, David Metcalf talking about the issues around enforcement of Almost employment. Almost like a long rise. list of people who have been um, on the
1: podcast who will be on the podcast. Yeah, <laughs>
2: Yeah, so, uh, yeah, and you've heard from all of them, clearly. Well, well, yeah. Regular listeners to the podcast. I've heard from all of them. Or well, we got them all together one on the yeah, same yeah, day. Yeah.
1: It was it was good. It was very good. Yeah, no, it was a good conference. No, it
2: was. And and obviously on some of the issues people were maybe singing the same song, and other issues there were different perspectives, but that's fine, that's yeah. fine. We need spaces where people are prepared to open up and explore Let's talk about For the challenges. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, and it's gonna be a turbulent period over these next few years, isn't it? I mean, clearly all the political issues arising from Brexit and all of that, but also what we call the fourth industrial revolution, yeah, yeah. the role artificial intelligence is playing in so many different areas, transforming business models in God knows how many businesses yeah. uh, and different sectors of the economy. And uh, the point you make, Simon, about predictions, you know, potentially huge numbers of current jobs just not going to exist in a relatively short number of years
1: i saw some world economic forum stats about the changes and it was really scary it was like i I think there is a tendency in all this debate to kind of go for the really big headline shock figures so i mean i'll take it that but the thing that was quite worrying for me when i was looking through it was was that There were all these kind of roles that were going to stay, that were going to change, and that were going to go. And it was something like 50% were kind of going to change or or go. So the change thing is is important. And then, I can't remember the exact figure, but then when businesses were asked who they would go to to help manage that change, government organisations and labour unions were like right down at the bottom. It was Mm -hmm. individual employees themselves. Which I thought was is, I mean, obviously this is not for Brendan to comment on, but I thought for us as, as a union movement, it's something to kind of grapple with that we are also not maybe not seeing it as much anymore as the partner to go to to help kind of manage well, some of those changes. Except there,
0: there is a connection because one of the things that, that I was prompted to ask Brendan by what you're saying is, is mm. what what is the connection, what's the relationship both in actuality and in in aspiration between ACAS and the industrial strategy. And of course, you know, Andy Haldane, who listeners will be on a future podcast with us, we're very pleased to, to say. Good. In, yeah. in, in his, heard it here in, first. In his role as chair of the Industrial Strategy Council. Yeah, There's a that particular role there's now. A, 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 a clear connection because, of course, what struck me about the Industrial Strategy when it was published last year is it was very comprehensive. But in terms of recognising the involvement of unions, recognising the value of collective voice, it was kind of at best silent and at worst, arguably dismissive.
2: Yeah, well they did have as one of their themes, people, and we've argued very strongly from, from ACAS perspective that if, you know, the core economic challenge that we face is productivity yeah, yeah. and our productivity performance compared to our major competitors is uh, very poor and has been for a significant period and all of that is what drives living standards and the chance to really build greater prosperity. At the heart of the productivity challenge is the issue of employment relations and yep. the contribution that people make. A lot of the time, the debate on productivity focuses particularly on skills strategy, and that's hugely important. It looks a lot at issues like investment levels and are our capital markets working well to deliver yep. investment in the areas that were, you know, Sectors can really drive innovation forward, and so on, and those are very important issues. But there's lots of research being done looking at, you know, above and beyond all of that, how well people are managed,
1: yeah, I was going to say
2: how that, yeah. well relations work, the extent to which live managers have been properly supported and empowered, the extent to which businesses manage conflict when it arises, yeah. Yeah. whether they manage it well and deal with it appropriately and have systems to to find proper resolutions to issues whether they build high trust uh, relationships in in their workplaces and that sense of fairness that can completely transform an organization where it's present and where it's absent can completely knock performance in a serious way all of those kind of people issues we did a lot of work On productivity in the last couple of years and talked about seven key drivers of positive productivity performance Uh, and they're all about people they're they're all about people so I mean I've talked to Andy Haldane about this I think he is very interested in this dimension to the industrial strategy and I hope that we'll begin to see that reflected in you know what begins to emerge more publicly.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the uh, the European Trade Union Institute report, the the annual benchmarking report, made exactly that point. Yeah. You know, we was saying there's a, there's a clear correlation, strong correlation between empowered, happy, well looked after workers, and higher levels of satisfaction, per- yeah, performance, yeah. Output.
1: And the scary thing is, is that the the areas where we have seen employment growth over the last few years are areas where we haven't seen productivity growth as well. Yeah. And so, yeah. and it feels to me very much like. We've got all of these issues when it comes to the labour market and the economy. And a clear way is dialogue in all of this. Yet we seem to be losing our ability to do that as a nation, across across nations. There's a broader political point yeah 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 Yeah, Yeah. but it's important.
2: I mean, one of the the interesting things that I attach some importance to and whether in practice it proves really important is the uh, the new corporate governance code on the way companies have to run their affairs with these new requirements for different ways for directors of companies to engage with their workforce it's less than Theresa May initially talked about she talked about the idea of workers having rights to representation on boards as a a key objective and a key model. It's been diluted since then and there was a consultation and so on. Now the Corporate Governance Code talks about three different possible ways of demonstrating that you are taking workforce views and interests into account. It can be through having workforce representation on the board, It can be through a new advisory council type structure being established for dialogue with the board. It can be through having a a non-executive director with a specific designated responsibility. Now those are three kind of different basic models, but behind them, there are a hundred practical questions about OK, you know, if you're going for this model or that or that, how exactly are you going to identify a representation uh, to be sure that it's genuinely, authentically representative of yeah. the workforce concerned? What training and support are you giving people to play their role in any new dialogue structure? All hugely important things. And what you're really looking to get out of it, Uh, You know, is is this just something where you're just ticking a box to say Mm. in your annual report, uh, yet again, our people are our greatest asset and we've now got, you know, a director, Joe Bloggs, who's particularly uh, responsible Mm. for dialogue and thinking about those issues and so on. Is it just ticking a box or is it genuinely about uh, engaging, listening, taking genuine account of the kind of views and perspective of uh, the members of a workforce and in all of that what are the opportunities for for trade unions obviously the tuc argued very strongly for the idea of worker workers on, uh, on boards i mean going back over the years you know all the way back to the 70s and so on there was a lot of debate back then around the Report by Alan Bullock. Absolutely. Yeah. Um that uh, like the Becky's, reminiscent looks that you're giving Becky each other and, a and I'm bit, like a bit blank before, Yeah, uh, yeah before, before your time back yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> <Okay>. but <laughs> but but the forerunner of my old union, the CWU, the, the, the PLEU and the CPSA Post Telecoms group had workers on the board of of BT as it was to as it was yeah. to become yeah. in an experiment that lasted uh, two or three two or three years. Yeah. Directly as a result of the Bullock report.
1: I'll but, take your word for it, guys.
2: But there was there, there were different views. You can views. trust us. There were different views e- even then. Not all unions thought that that was the highest priority. They thought the priority should be concentrating on maintaining and strengthening collective bargaining yeah. rather than being reliant on some representative structure that was remote to an awful lot of people in the workforce. But uh, to me, this is a, you know, even in these troubled times... The fact that there are now those new requirements for companies to address this agenda potentially provides an opportunity for some new thinking and for for unions to think actively about, you know, in the areas where they're strong,
1: Yeah.
2: how do we work with anything to build on our existing strength and add some value if there is a willingness on the part of the company leadership to think about some new different arrangements can that supplement and strengthen what's already happening? And in areas where unions are less strong, how does this present opportunities to open up a different kind of line of dialogue and yeah. demonstrate the value that the union voice can add to the uh, position that the workers yeah, It's an uh, organising
0: challenge and an opportunity, Yeah,
2: for sure.
1: I, well, I find an organising challenge and opportunity in everything that the union movement does. <laughs> <would be> <laughs> But anyway, that's a whole other th- issue.
0: In, in, in your role as, as here, here, Brendan, yeah. you, you must see thousands of examples of practice good and bad. Are there yeah. particular examples of good practice, yeah, best let's, practice? us let's focus
1: on the positives. That, that,
0: that have kind of crossed your desk, as it were.
2: Well, for, o- for obvious reasons, f- firms and organisations where things are going really well tend not to come across come to ACADS. It's the, it's the places where things have started going wrong that most of, uh, obviously kind of uh, come through our doors. but what we do try and do when we've worked with a firm and a union maybe on a particular problem dispute issue, we will we will often see whether on the back of that you know once you get an immediate solution to perhaps whatever the issue has been, to see whether there's further work we can do work do with them with both parties to try and strengthen and deepen you know a positive relationship uh, for for the future but we do have the constraint that our effectiveness relies on having their trust and confidence and their trust and confidence comes because they rely completely on our confidentiality yeah so it's occasionally rather frustrating that You know, we're we're not able to trumpet as much as we might perhaps like to some of the kind of success stories, areas where through good work with people on all sides, we've been able to really move something along in a positive way because of that confidentiality requirement. Yeah, if if he told us, he'd have
1: to kill us. (laughs) (laughs) You'd have to.
2: Yeah, we'd have to have to burn this tape uh, immediately. Uh,
0: I suppose one, one, one area where there can be public recognition and celebration of the success of ACAS is in the area of social partnership, I suppose, and, and there are not that many social partnership organisations left. What, what do you think that partnership approach brings or adds to, to ACAS's work?
2: Well, we've, we have supported unions and employers to, to establish better structures for kind of embedding a partnership type uh, relationship. Uh, I mean, I'm I'm thinking, for example, in the in the area of the National Health Service, where there is a, a fairly long-standing mm-hmm. social partnership structure. Uh, I mean, actually, when I was at the TUC, that came into being at a time when there was a lot of pressure on kind of NHS budgets and issues around NHS pay. But there were also a lot of pressures arising from the pace of change yeah. in the way the NHS was being structured and services were being delivered. And the the there wasn't a a kind of structure in place to really engage the all the NHS unions in a serious conversation about the kind of change that like was proposed. A
1: coordinated and, sort of and so
2: on. Uh, and that seems to me to be the key thing about the whole idea of partnership. It's not just about whatever arrangements operate to negotiate pay in terms of conditions of employment, it's recognising that people have a bigger interest, they want to know what the future of their organisation uh, looks like, they want to be able to be part of the conversation about yeah. that, those, yes. those changes. Yeah. And. Those areas with uh, with a kind of social partnership mindset uh, make that conversation possible.
0: There you go. That is a
2: you you you
0: brought the plane into land and popped it in the gate <laughs> perfectly, Brendan. Which, yeah. which is so, what I would have
1: expected from <laughs> Brendan.
2: <laughs> thank
0: you very thank you. much. No,
2: Thanks so, so, very much, so, Enjoyed <laughs>
0: Thank you. So Becky, I mean, I think that was you know I think that gave us uh, quite a few insights into not just what acus does, but what it could do in the future and its role in the changing world of work is something that I think is very interesting.
1: Yeah, I really enjoyed the discussion with Brendan because I've, as I said when we met him, I've used ACAS, I've had ACAS thrust upon me During a recognition procedure many many years ago, and I did in fact heartily enjoy the process because they sided with me. Unsurprisingly, I had ninety percent in my in my bargaining unit. But I just think it's a really useful vehicle. It's a really underrated organisation. I just don't think we talk about them enough or think about what they might be in terms of us and the future of work. And after sort of before we went to see Brendan like listeners we do do a little bit of research before we go and chat with people and I was looking at the history of ACAS and it really struck me how long it's been going as a body in one way shape or other it's it was initially created in 1895 so it's been going for an awful long time which then kind of leads me to think well what's it going to look like in another 50 years it wants to look more at the future of work and there's a lot of stuff going on now about the future of work. So it's it will be interesting to see where it finds its niche as an organisation. But maybe it's about horizon scanning and looking up at problems and offering solutions that feel kind of keyed into the real world so that we don't hit them. So the, the Taylor report, notwithstanding, you know, maybe having ACAS have this more horizon scanning role would reduce the need for things like the Taylor report.
0: Well, preventative action is better than remedial action in virtually all yeah. of life. And ACAS's particular skill, and as you say, a skill developed over decades of involvement, is bringing people together uh, in making sure that people can sit around the table and find a solution. And And if it is able to anticipate trends in potential causes of of, of dispute. But we need a body that's got the resource and is used to dealing in the language and the tools that are needed to bring people together to find a solution, but to do so in the context of the of the world of work, recognising the different stakeholders that are involved there. I'd, and if you think of ACAS and you you think of the other people in this space, such as I know, the Low Pay Commission, uh, the Office of Labour Market Enforcement, people like that, you you can see how actually there's scope there's scope for a um, a coalescing of skills and talents and knowledge mm. in in, in mm. this space that so could be really interesting, really useful, really innovative. And and of uh, yeah. tremendous economic benefit.
1: Yeah, and, and actually could kind of bring unions and employers around the table to kind of thrash those issues out and make recommendations which are tripartite. I just made that up as, as an example. It's not a well-thought-through thing, but it just made me think. We have so many challenges when it comes to the future of the world of work, not least kind of the role of, of workers and and actually I have seen a conference that's coming up in the next couple of weeks which is about the future of work and it talks about like a charter for work and there's just no mention of kind of worker voice in that there's kind of lofty ideas about it but I think part of part of all the challenges we're facing is we're kind of receding from the the the, the public policy sphere when we're talking about what the future of work looks like and i think that's a, that's a shame
0: but well it, it's it, it's not just a shame it's i mean it's, it, it's disastrous both for 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 those who believe collective voice is important and for the economy as a whole if you think about the discussions we've had with with our guests and with each other over, over recent weeks we've kind of got to a got to a place where we've established that you can't have an effective industrial strategy without effective collective employee voice but at the same time you need to have public policy that creates a framework that encourages the development and the sustaining of dialogue in that way. So, for the public policy space to be a desert denuded of the arguments in favour of the advantages of collective collective voice is a real problem uh, in in every single dimension.
1: Yeah. So, uh, on that happy you note, know, everyone. <laughs> 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 yeah. So. Who is talking about the future of work with a union voice? Well, we, are.
0: The, Unions we are. the Union's 21 conference, 21st of May in London. Tickets available now from the Union's 21 website. It's something to set your heart racing and your spirit soaring. How poetic <laughs> can I be?
1: It's a really nice space where you can come, hear what other unions are doing, hear from non-union allies around what they're doing and help to give you some ideas around the future. And if I could give an example of myself before I started in Unions 21, way, way back in the day, I went to a Unions 21 conference and I had I saw a case study being done by the Royal College of Midwives around some of the, the learning stuff they were doing and i i remember thinking cool that's a really good idea i'm going to use that to help me organise archaeologists and that's what i did and it was a really successful piece of work and i wouldn't have been able to have done it had i not gone to a union's 21 conference
0: so there you go the union's 21 conference shape your future shape shape your union's future no, that's <laughs> quite catchy Yeah I like
1: that <laughs> <But> <laughs> If you can over to our website Which is www.unions21.org.uk There's an, event stick, uh, there's an events tab Head onto that one And book your tickets now
0: So that's it for this podcast We've enjoyed having you For this half hour or so We hope you've enjoyed being here If you have Please rate us on the podcast platform of your choice You can tweet us at unions21 And
1: please share you're listening with your colleagues via whichever social media platform that you are in. We will be tracking it all. And it's lovely to see feedback on social media and also be able to see people talk about what they thought was interesting.
0: So, and just so you know that we keep our promises, we have not mentioned the Avengers movie once.
1: <laughs> I love Captain Marvel. It's amazing. I'm just so pleased Captain Marvel's back. <laughs>
0: She's been a long time gone, you could say. So, anyway, if you want to join the debate, we'd love to hear what you think of the podcast, what subjects you think we should cover in the future, what you'd like to hear more of, what you'd like to hear less of. You can email us at info at unions21.org.uk. We'll see you again in a couple of weeks. We have a host of super special guests uh, littering this series. Coming up will be people like Andy Haldane, who's chair of the Government's Industrial Strategy Commission. We're going to be talking to Christina Colclough about what UNI, the Global Union, is doing on artificial intelligence. You won't want to miss that. We'll be talking to David Metcalf, the Director of Labour Market Enforcement. It's all here on the Unions 21 podcast. Don't miss a single episode.
1: But until then, it's goodbye from me.
0: And goodbye from me. Union's 21 podcast was presented by Becky Rice and Simon Sapper. It was a makes you think production.